Welcome to episode 12 of Super Entertainment Presents, the television crossover universe on the Grand Guignol Network. Coming to you from Castle Wolfenstein, hosted by the TVCU crew. Joining me via Skype is James Boyacek, CEO of 18th Wall Productions, and Chris Nigro, our recently designated permanent co-host, author, and founder of Wild Hunt Publishing. I am Robert E. Um, Ivan Shablotsky, <laughs> the guy doing the talking. We are the TVCU crew. The TVCU crew are a team of crossoverists who devote way too much of their time to connecting the dots through official crossovers and Easter eggs in order to demonstrate a shared fictional reality that we call the Television Crossover Universe, or TVCU. The crew's founder, Robert E. Ronsky Jr., will be joining us after the commercial break as our guest for today's show. So Chris and James are joining us through Skype. Say hi, guys. Hi, guys. Hi. Okay, anything that you would like to plug this week? Shamelessly, of course. Chris? I'm going to pretend you mean books exclusively, and um, I will reiterate. Well, I already talked about Centurion and Replicant, so I guess I can point out something that James brought up last time. I'm hoping to get together the first anthology I do, Stories dedicated to none other than Dorian Gray, for those just joining us this week who may not know. And basically, um, I hope to to get submissions that go the whole gamut, exploring his character. Fun, debauched, what would it be like if he encountered this historical figure or that one? I would like to have it considered to be in canon for the... The audio series by who does that great audio series? The Big Finish Productions. Yes, we love stories. Yes, and considered in canon, each story in canon. With that, even though we're not, this is not connected to them in any way. So we won't be using original characters from there already. But basically, I'd like it to have an overall similar feel. But I'd like to see people exploring different aspects of the character. Who has he run into? What havoc has he wreaked on their lives when he did? Um, and basically explore both him and the individuals who he runs into. There's a wealth of opportunities with that character. I wouldn't focus on the word wealth too much, but I think I get the gist of what you're saying. Okay, so James, what have you got for us? Well, as I said last time... The Dragonlord Secretary by our previous guest, Nicole Petit, has been out for one week. She is an award-nominated, and hopefully by the time you hear this, award-winning author and anthologist. So you know it has to be good. All the people agree. And we know that we love the, oh, what is that fallacy? Big group fallacy. Anyway, it's accurate, and you should read her book. <laughs> you know, I mean, the also... one about how all of us is dumber than one of us? No, the one about following people off a ledge. Oh. Because everyone's doing it, so it must be great. Yeah, that too. Yes. We're trending. And also this Friday, which is March the 4th, we're going to be releasing Those Who Live Long Forgotten 2, the second anthology in our series of older fictional and mythological characters brought into the present. This time we have Muses... We have all sorts of old mythological creatures brought into the present. A lot of Muse stories this time, some Japanese mythology, which I'm especially enamored with because the authors did great things, and a Dracula story that explores all of Valid the Impaler's previous lives. 
Well, I know Chris is always amused by Dracula. Most often, yes. Hey, even when, even when they brought us Defula, no doubt. That was a real project, by the way, for those who may not be in the know, and I'm just geeking out again, but yes. I don't want to be in the know. You are now, though, unfortunately. But Welcome anyway, to my world. I don't think they heard me clearly, but anyway, no one will get that pun. But anyway, um, yes, that may definitely be more grist for the Children of the Night timeline on Monster. Okay, and I have, again, nothing to talk about of my own. Shamelessly. You're but, hosting a show this week. Shh, you're not here yet. <laughs> Go away. Not okay. even your Imodium promotion? Sorry? Not even your Imodium promotion? Come on, if Godzilla could do it, so could you. Uh, Godzilla goes many places that I will never go. In fact, Godzilla goes all over Tokyo. Whenever he feels like it, he just lets loose. We never saw any uh, indication in the movies that he has a functioning bowel. He just absorbs radiation. Okay, but we've seen him eat things, and if we eat solids, those solids got to go somewhere. We've seen him eat radiate, absorb radiation. That's about it. <laughs> All right, before this degrades into something even I don't want to listen to, let's go to commercial break, and when we come back, we will have in the studio Robert E. Ronsky Jr., Welcome back. In the studio with me today is none other than Robert E. Ronsky Jr., the creator of the television crossover universe concept, as well as many related web pages, blogs, groups, published books, and this very podcast. Welcome, Rob. This is really weird. <laughs> oh, come on. It's not that weird. I am, I am so used to, like, like looking at notes and and everything and and the, a stopwatch and and like being so uptight throughout this whole uh um show and and i'm just like eh, i'm not doing i'm not worried about i didn't prepare at all <laughs> enjoy your one taste of freedom before we lock you into responsibilities again right. yes enough adulting for you for one day okay so i do have a few questions lined up but let's see what chris has first well, my question for you, Rob, what I have lined up, since you're pretty much an expert on TV, and I have come to you about many questions regarding TV, and since um, I believe Leave it to Beaver was mentioned last time, in the opening credits of one of the seasons, you'll notice that they, uh, I believe um, his parents hand him a lunch bag, and he walks up to the screen, and he stops, and he smiles. I always wonder, what was he smiling at? <laughs> and he was looking forward and he wasn't looking at his parents at the time, as we all know. So who or what was he smiling at or about or whatever? There was a man with a mask standing across the street waving at him with a bloody axe. <laughs> he smiled. He smiled. He didn't. You know, there wasn't a look of horror. It was a smile. And it, Leave I it just, to I, Cleaver. I, I always took it he was just fantasizing about Judy, you know, but... I mean, it could have been something else. He might have seen something, and you know, would. I mean, do we have to wait till the Riverdale show to come out before we start exploring, you know, the underbelly of suburbia? I, I always assumed that he saw a camera crew. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, in front of his house, and and was happy that he was on TV. Although I like your Michael Myers theory better. <laughs> I think we really broke the fourth wall there with the previous one. There, there are there are a lot of, there are a lot of characters in fiction who, at some point in their life, um, 
have at least for a moment a realization that they're of their fictionality. They do so, talk to the audience, look at the audience through the camera. Yeah. I mean I mean Superman used to wink at the camera <laughs> at the end of every episode. And let's not forget Mr. Roper used to mug to the camera, smile every time he he got a particularly good zinger in on his wife and let's not forget that. Yeah, technically I think he was uh winking at the Live studio audience, rather than the camera itself. So he knew the. He knew he would. This was. I mean, this was a totally Gary Shandling thing with him. Then he knew there was a. a Mr. A, Roper actually appeared on the Gary Shandling show. It the it's the Gary Shandling show as Mr. Roper. It, the character recurs. <laughs> so there you go. Roper, really? Yeah, yeah. So Larry yeah. Sanders met Mr. Roper. Yes, Mr. Ro- Mr. Roper did show up on it's get the Gary Shandling show. So there you go. Did Gary tell him, you know, you, you were not insane all that time, Stanley. You you really were seeing people in front of you that enjoyed the kind of that laughter that you heard whenever you put your wife down, and she made f- fun of you for being impotent, et cetera, et cetera. But th- is that where it was all confirmed to him that he did not say all that stuff? But Mister Roper did seem to indicate that he knew he was a fictional character. Uh, so later yeah. that day for Beaver, he could have said, gee, Wally, we were being looked at by these people in cameras, and, and I think that's really neat. So then Wally at- said, gosh, you little goof, quit hamming up to the camera. <laughs> or Dad will give you the business. Well, his parents didn't appear to know that, you know, there was people, you know, cameras filming him. I mean, if I knew that was the case, I'd be afraid to use the bathroom anymore. I mean, you never know when they might appear, right? I mean. I think they covered an. On an episode of uh, Family Guy, where they were filming a reality TV show right. in their house. Right. Okay, because I know with you, Ivan, that would be a particular, particular concern. So, you know, I'm just wondering, these mysterious other dimensional cameramen who are filming us for uh, um, an other reality audience, you know, that's, I mean, maybe that, that should be something of a, of a future article, you know, for the TV crossover universe. Characters that break the fourth wall, that just know that on the other side of the veil, there are an audience watching them. And well, it's funny you should say that because my next blog post will be on Saved by the Bell. Zach Morris, oh Zach Morris being one of the, the biggest offenders of knowing he's a fictional character and actually freezing everybody else uh, on, on the show so he could talk to the audience. How about that? We actually worked this into a, <laughs> something that Rob could relate to one of his projects. It's astounding how that happened. We're oh, not going to be so yeah. lucky again. No, Rob, no we're not. I would because... like to see you handle this as your next horror story bonus feature. Well, yeah, the, the what, into being interviewed by Chris Nigro? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I think the fourth wall phenomenon really should be discussed because when Deadpool eventually gets his TV series, like we know we all will, you know that that's going to be another consideration for the TV crossover universe. You know, the TV version of Deadpool that's coming up soon, obviously. Well, we've already had that whole breaking the fourth wall thing done in Supernatural. And you know the yeah. Nightmare on Elm Street series. So. Yeah, and for the record, in the television crossover universe, the comic book version of Deadpool is, is the canon version for the television crossover universe. Kind of, because we also have that Deadpool pulp story that ties that fits in nicely with all of the '60s continuity. Plus, Deadpool works with Short Round. But Deadpool is the same type of person that he 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 could have easily slipped back. To the nineteen, it's an origin story, but I don't think there's anything conflicting with that being his TVCU origin. Didn't oh. the She-Hulk used to break the fourth wall too all the time? I think John Byrne introduced yes. that. Yes, yes. And and I'll mention that uh, in uh, Intelligent Cross of the Universe World and Mythology Volume Two, I am writing a chronology of Marvels in the Intelligent Cross of the Universe 
which features um, how Marvel characters connect to other series of film, television, and literature. So uh, I, I will be uh, working on the Deadpool dilemma there. And Deadpool has also um, appeared in the Romero timeline as well. And then there's another version of Deadpool that just goes around all kinds of different realities once he realizes he's fictional and just keeps killing all kinds of fictional characters. I think 616 Deadpool killed him recently. Mm. Not sure. I'm pretty sure that happened, though. On Battleworld, no doubt? In that Battleworld? No, it was a special miniseries where almost all of the Deadpools from almost all of the universes decide to go on an interdimensional cruise ship together. Of course, the version from Wolverine X-Men Origins, you know, who didn't seem to be much aware of anything. I think they actually kill him for fun. But, and then it becomes Die Hard with a million Deadpools. That's probably the title of it, too, right? <laughs> it should be. Dead Hard. Dead Hard. Ah, never mind. Die Pool Hard. Die Pool Hard? That was almost worse than mine. Enough said. I prefer I'm Captain proud. Deadpool. <laughs> no? Just, just Deadpool? How about Spider Deadpool? Why not? Okay, so moving on. <laughs> I would like to ask Rob a question now. Rob? I'm bracing myself. Okay. Why crossovers? I know you've talked about this on the show before, but definitively, with you on the spot, why crossovers? Now that I have more than 30 seconds to talk <laughs> about it. Um, so, a few different things came together for me um, when I was a kid. Um, but, but first and foremost... Um, when I was like five, my parents decided we were moving to California from Massachusetts, driving. And, um, and they gave me my first comic book, which was Scooby's All-Star Laugh Olympics from Marvel Comics. Not the classics. Yeah. Um, and, it, you know, so basically that was the only thing I had to look at for like several days. And so I read it several times, and it warped my brain. Uh, <laughs> it was it, it it was a just amazing concept for me that all these different characters that I had previously seen in their own cartoons were now together in in one uh, one series together, and uh, I just thought it was really really cool. Um, and it it must have warped my brain because I started seeing crossovers everywhere after that and became fascinated with them. Um, in co- uh, collecting comics after that it was I collected all the team books and the team up books uh, you know DC Comics Presents uh, Brave and the Bold Marvel Team Up Marvel 2 and 1 and then all the Avengers Justice League of America and stuff like that uh, because it was more interesting to me to see characters interacting uh, with other characters from other series um, on TV I started to notice you know, like uh, Happy Days, you know, had a crossover in, in one episode with Laverne and Shirley and Mork and Mindy, you know, and, and you know, that, that this was a shared re- universe that all of these shows took place in one reality. And I, I started taking notes and, and, and keeping a notebook, uh, you know, for that stuff. Um, and another another one of my things was um, horror crossovers. Um, Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein. Um, was a big inspiration on me. Um, uh, you know, I combined all these different horror series, universal horror series together, and I'd actually seen that b- 
before I saw like Frank Sammy's The Wolfman and stuff, and it and uh, because you never saw those movies in order on Saturday afternoons, and uh, uh, you know, so that kind of thing just just fascinated me the the shared realities and and uh, the connecting the dots and you know with my OCD it was the type of fiction that I like could could dig something that I could actually like like study you know so then you went from somebody who studies these crossovers to somebody who writes a book about studying these crossovers right right how did that happen so the internet is a wonderful thing um, because he's lying. It's not. <laughs> well, it depends on how you use it. Um, but about 15 years ago, um, I started going online and I discovered that there were other people who are also interested in crossovers. Um, so, so I um, started like talking to some of these people. Um, I discovered Winscott Eckert's um, crossover chronology and um, Toby O'Brien's Two World and, and, and Thomas Holbrook's crossover master list. And, uh, and I, w- I was just so fascinated with it. And I ended up joining a discussion group where people were talking about crossovers. Um, um, and many of those are, are people on the show right now. Um, and, uh, it, it it was it was one of those things where I was like, you know, I have all these notes, and uh, I would like to get them out there. So I created a uh, a blog, the Tell- which is now the Telling Cross of the Universe website, and um, and uh, I didn't think anybody would read it. Um, you know, I was just putting it out there. I figured like two or three people would read it and discuss with me. Uh, basically, the people in this room, you know, people in this room, and uh, and uh, it, um, people did read it, and people read it a lot. And I created, had to create a um, a, a Facebook forum just for, for talking about the the website and the things I was writing about. And then other people said that they would like to write stuff for that website, and I said sure, and uh, and it started to grow, and um, and that was five years ago. Um, that that went from being me just writing down my notes and and putting them out there to the public, um, you know, to where I am now. And um, so at some point um, I said, you know what, I'm going to write a book. Um, and uh, I, I had put on the Facebook forum, you know, like, okay, these are different subjects. I wanted to I, – I d- uh, when Scott Ecker had written a book about crossovers that was a very large two-volume book that covered many, many different subjects um, all in one book. And I just wanted to cover, like, one genre at a time and, and, and be very, very focused. And um, so I said, you know, which one would you like? Uh, I put cartoons and sci-fi and horror and a few others. And, and horror was the one that in the poll that most people wanted. So that's So I started with horror. Um, it took me like three years to write the book. Um, I, I w- I w- it was, it was, it was uh, luck, I guess, on my part. Um, 18th Wall Productions was, was just starting out around the same time. And uh, James had posted something about his um, public publishing company. I said, oh, you're a publisher now. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember all that times that I've let you... Uh... <laughs> 
<laughs> right, right on the my blog. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say James Boyacek's pretty much uh, been part of your project since the beginning, hasn't he? Yeah, it, yeah, and you know that's a, that's a good point. I should backtrack because um, in that discussion group um, where I, I met several of you guys, um, James and I had collaborated on on a Wold Newton book club. Um, it was like a, a group within the group. Um, yes, we and, were the Illuminati. Yeah, and um, you know, it kind of kind of came as as two different um, um, two different similar ideas that just seemed to click together and became one project. Um, and for a while, it was popular, um, um, and then people didn't want to read after <laughs> after a while. Um, but um, it, it, it was fun to work with him. And um, and that's actually how the my website came about. James and I were going to do a, a Wold Newton website together. Um, it was it was kind of going to be like a, a Wold Newton Beyond thing, except we were going to stick to the to the fundamentals um, of a Wold Newton, like the Wold Newton family and the and the you know the the branches off of it, cro- very crossovery Wold Newton. It was basically Wynn's original website. But even more hardcore farmerian. Yeah, yeah. But then, as, as I came along, I, I realized that I couldn't put Muppets in that. <laughs> <laughs> and even worse, you couldn't put Hannah Montana in it. Right, right, right. And I, so I just realized that as much as I love the World New Universe, that wasn't my uh, my forte um, for writing and research. Um, so I, I realized that I had to. Uh, I I had thought okay, so I got to convert all my notes to fit in that world, and I decided you know what it's already its own thing. I'm just going to go with my own thing, um, and uh, yeah, and then and then um, you know, um, so James and I went our own separate ways to to though never too far away, <laughs> and. Uh, yeah, and then we reconnected for this for this book, and uh, you know, I, I this was another just like the website. I didn't think anybody would read the book, um, but people did, which is why it's coming out with a second edition now, um, and I'm working on a volume two, um, plus working on a spinoff, the cartoon crossover encyclopedia. Um, so it's uh, the intro for the second edition is going to talk a little bit about about this like like the crazy world that my life has become since I published a book um and how I'm I'm like really living my dream now so even though I'm, I'm poor as hell still but uh, <laughs> but I'm having fun at least okay well you've got the horror crossover book you've got the cartoon crossover book in the works right where does world myths fit into this uh, oh uh world of mythology so um so that that was actually James idea also um um at at, at the um, time that um, the horror crossover encyclopedia had come out and I was working on the cartoon crossover encyclopedia James said well you know how you can make some more money <laughs> and and I'm like I'm listening <laughs> uh, so um um intelligent crossover universe world and mythology is in in a ways very different than these encyclopedias that I'm doing um they they take some reprinted material from the website and then add and expand upon it um and it's very 
in worlds of mythology, it's very much uh, some of my funnest theories, non-canonical theories. Um, so, uh, um, World of Mythology Volume One has has three chronologies in it. Um, one combines um, a history that that shows that the um, the children of the Flintstones and the Rubbles um, cr- left the cartoon universe and came to uh, the television crossover universe, and uh, their ancestors became Abbott and Costello. Our de- descendants became Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy, and then and then their children became Abbott and Costello, Laurel and Hardy, and then their children became Abbott and Costello and Laurel and Hardy, and then at at some at some point uh, a Costello has a whole bunch of um, cartoonish offspring that that leads to South Park, Family Guy, and The Simpsons. Um, um, very much um, um, strays from in-story canon that I that I usually rely on, but it, it's a really lot of fun. Um, and then the second one, I, I take um, um, the, I take a more serious TVCU approach, but I, I I apply it to Doctor Who as if Doctor Who existed in a separate universe, and then I connect the dots from Doctor Who, whereas the TVCU connects the dots from I Love Lucy. Um, the Doctor Who universe or the Hooniverse um, starts with Doctor Who at the center and, and goes out from there. And the third one's about um, um, you know the characters from the Justice League comics um, as they would fit into the television crossover universe. Um, but but I have a little fun with it and um, stray again from the in-story um, connections and and try to cram as much different live uh, live action and animated versions into one timeline um and it actually makes sense um it, it's not something that uh um dc's gonna say hey we should we should use this idea um uh, and they definitely should <laughs> yeah but it doesn't stray so far as like uh the generations maxi series no no in fact I try to stick to the stories themselves as 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 having happened, and I only use the crossovers to make so you know um, you know if I if I have um, a Golden Age Superman and a, and a Silver Age Superman being in the same timeline, and I'm saying they're from uh, two twin Kryptons, um, you know that that may seem say, seem a little. You know, weird, coincidental, weird, yeah. But um, but the thing is, the Golden Age Superman had crossovers with um, that could connected to the television crossover universe. The Adventures of Superman television show had had crossovers that connect could connect it to the television crossover universe. And the Silver Age Superman's Krypton, described in the comics, was a world where Kryptonians were normal men under their sun, and when they come to Earth they become supermen. Um, the golden age Superman came from a world of supermen that on their world, they were, they were supermen. So they were different Kryptons, um, as described from the two different mythologies. So I used that and it, it was, it was easier to say, you know, Superman of earth two is now Superman of Krypton two and Superman of earth one is now Krypton from Krypton one. Uh, but they happen to be cousins in, in that both landed in Krypton. I mean, in Smallville, and were raised and both named Clark Kent, but with different middle names. One Jerome and and uh, and one Joseph. Um, and then they went to two different metropolises on different ends of the the, the country. 
But both called Metropolis. But but both well, – no, not really. The Great Metropolis of Cleveland and the Great Metropolis of Los Angeles. Uh, they were named after certain Mr. Siegel and Mr. Schuster, correct? Yes, yes. So, so I, 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 I figure since growing up together, because actually um, George Reeves is the same age as the Golden Age Superman um, is given in, in, the, in the original Earth 2 comics canon, except like two years younger. Um, so so, that, so um, they had to grow up together. You know, uh, so I figured they were probably called like Joey and Jerry growing up. You so know. those two couldn't be the same man, though. Well, I've changed my mind on that <laughs> since they published since I published that book um, last year. Um, the Batman '66 comic book is inspiring me a a lot. Um, and and it's come to I've come to realize I can still include the Golden Age Superman stories that cro- have crossovers. Um, I only have to do one tweak to make them just one guy because George Reeves is the same age as what the Golden Age Superman was supposed to be. Just move the pilot episode to 1938 of the Adventures of Superman, and then all the other stories are contemporary. And having rewatched the series um, again. In the first episode, they were like, wow, this crazy Superman. I, we've never seen him before. By the second episode, everybody's like, oh, yeah, he's a man. Superman. Yeah, everybody knows Superman like, he, like he's been around forever. Um, so clearly some time has passed. So why not like a dozen years? Um, sure. And, you know, and the fact that um, criminals, though, in, in Metropolis are still around, like, this, it's over, still overrun with gangs in the 50s after he's been around through the whole, like, 40s, um, and they're still trying to shoot him and, and throw their guns at him when it runs out of bullets, uh, fits the TVCU concept that he kept a low profile during the 1940s, that, um, you know, and, and the, the early Golden Age comics has shown, like, most people didn't believe Superman was real, that he was just a myth and stuff. Um, and I, I figure in the TVCU, he just kept that concept. Um, we, we tr- we, when we try to include superheroes into TVCU, we try to go on the assumption that, you know, maybe they're locally known. They're not necessarily known nationwide or people don't believe that, those stories, you know, um, you know, that they probably operated more like, like Buffy and, and the, guys from supernatural and stuff like that where where you know they, they you know they kept a, a low profile on their on their heroics um and, you know it shows like like recently i zombie um they had an episode where there was costumed crime fighters and and uh the the police officer who works works with the i zombie uh, i can't remember her name live more thank you um you know references like it's a pun. Refer- yeah references that uh you know there's there's tons of yeah every city has like superheroes but you know people don't really know about them and uh you know that that's exactly what the TVC concept is that every super city has superheroes and you know that's actually true in the real world too every city does have superheroes we just make fun of them in the real world well, wasn't that concept, um, Rob, actually introduced by John Byrne's um, reboot of Superman? He posited that he, he was 
he was he did all his life saving in a clandestine fashion for a long time for five years. Yes, until that superplane incident with Lois Lane. Right, right. Which is, which was basically the premise of the later years of Smallville. Well, actually, the entire series of Smallville, um, and that's how I, I uh, that's how I feel that Superman. Superman of the TVCU operated a little bit more like Smallville in in that you know he he took a long time to to uh get known could it be argued too maybe that you know he became more well known once he finally gained his ability to fly and didn't just have to leap Hulk, Hulk style like he did in the first comics that could be you know leaping around like a flea as he was described could be a little embarrassing well, you know, which makes me wonder too: Is there any ways to fit the um, the Flesher soup animated shorts from the early '40s into the TV crossover universe? So that actually um, brings up an interesting point. In in, in worlds of mythology, I um, I did include um, those Flesher cartoons as part of the Golden Age Superman's uh, mythos in the TVCU. Um, but now I'm writing another book called the Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia, um, and I, I'm having this real um, need in this book to separate what I'm calling the cartoon universe from what I'm calling the live action universe, which is just just as horror universe was the horror crossover encyclopedia's code for television crossover universe, um, so is live action universe, um, and 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 cartoon universe is is my um, uh, less copyright infringement version of the Lunaverse. Uh, since the Luniverse is owned by Warner Brothers, um, so um, because of that, I am I am feeling to, the need to separate um, the two. Like for instance, Super Friends um, has a lot of connections to uh, the cartoon universe, and actually that goes back to the Batman sixty six and Scooby Doo team up. Um, Scooby Doo, and also the Brady Kids, right? Yeah, the, so. In the new Scooby Doo team up comic book, um, um, there's there there's a lot of every issue has a crossover, and it's definitely part of the cartoon universe uh, with all the crossovers with the Flintstones and the Jetsons and and all these different cartoon characters, um, but a lot of DC characters. Well, um, it connects to the old Batman cartoons as well, but it also connects to Teen Titans Go. And Teen Titans Go is now getting a spinoff called Justice League Action, which is based on the version of the Justice League that we have been seeing in Scooby-Doo Team-Up. Um, so it's it's clear to me exp- it, um, that Scooby-Doo Team-Up must take place in the cartoon universe. and that um, So it makes me more separate them out. Because in the cartoon universe, you don't have to age. And... Um, and the timeline is constantly fluctuating, and um, so that continuity errors aren't as big of a deal, um, you know. So, for instance, in Scooby Doo Team Up, Robin appears in his classic 1970s New Adventures of Batman and Robin version, uh, animated style, um, which is the same as like the Super Friends style, um, in one episode, in one issue, and then in another issue, he appears in his Teen Titans Go version. And they said, boy, you sure are different when you're not around Batman. And he's like, well, you know how, how kids are when they're around their parents. Yeah, I believe there's even a comment about how when he's with Batman, he sounds a lot like Shaggy. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know. Um, 
It's I, awesome. I, All these things are recognized. I mean, these discrepancies are becoming not discrepancies. Yeah. So, you know, when, when it, well, the thing with my theories is um, they're only good until something in canon um, happens, and then I have to rectify those theories. Um, I do not change the story to fit my theory. I change my theory to fit the story. Well, thanks to Scooby-Doo team-up, we do have a version of the Spectre in the crossover, or I, I should say the cartoon yes. verse. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, that version is only a dream. That is unfortunate. Very unfortunate. All right. Well, let, let's move on then. I think we've talked right. about that one for a while. But what I'd like to know here, personal question for Rob. Can I call you E? Sure. You can call me anything you want. Excellent. Okay, so E, out of all the different genres you cover, I know you had a love of horror. You have definitely a love of TV sitcoms, a love of the comic books. What genre do you like the best? Um, So it's a toss-up. I, I I love superhero adaption adaptations um, because I don't read comics anymore. Um, I stopped reading comics regularly around 2000, um, but I still love um, the adaptations. Um, so I regularly follow um, the Arrowverse and Gotham and and uh, Marvel's Agents of Shield and Peggy Carter and all the Netflix stuff. Um, but yeah, comedy is is like my favorite genre. Um, I'm not so much into dramas because the world is dramatic enough. Um, so uh, I, I I love comedies, um, and comedies cross over a lot more than dramas. Um, it seems the, those Detective Munch might argue against that. Yeah, yeah, Detective Munch crosses over a, a lot but um but in general it makes it easier for like cross promotional stuff um in the in the in the world of sitcoms well, one thing i'd like to ask rob and it, you know the, you know that there are, i'm sure there are many people like us who love crossovers but one thing they do not like doing is crossing over genres you have no problem with that do you uh i love when genres cross over um I've mentioned on a previous episode of of this show uh, that um, the Bones Supernatural, not Bones, not Bones and Sleepy Hollow crossover was one of the best crossovers I've seen um, because you had a show that was a a a straight forensic science show uh, where they don't even believe in God on that show, you know, and then uh, and and it crossed over with uh, a show where they encountered zombies and 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 uh, an immortal guy, and the evidence was there that this was all true, and they just uh, just scullied it. <laughs> they, they just scullied it. Like uh, Bones went away from that experience thinking that she was uh, attacked by assailants with bad acne <laughs> rather than zombies. Um, and it, it was amazing to have and 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 she she, uh, she used Sherlock Holmes. Um, when, when, when she, she learned that Ichabod Crane's signature uh, was the exact same signature um, as, as this guy from the 1700s named Ichabod Crane, she's like, well, how could this be? 
And uh, Ichabod Crane's like, could it be a genetic thing that maybe signatures can be the same? And so she she's that quote. Well, whenever the when uh, uh, the impossible is ruled out, whatever's left over, no matter how improbable, must be the truth. So that must be the truth that there must be some kind of undiscovered genetic thing that causes people centuries apart of the same lineage to have the same signature, uh, which is completely bull crap. But, um, you know, Bones used that to uh, keep her atheistic mind. And, In other words, people interpret things according to their worldview. Right. And, you know, um, Buffy the Vampire Slayer used to play on that a lot. You know, that, um, you know, vampires were always like, oh, we were attacked by teens with PCP. You know, even though they saw their faces change and the fangs and stuff, they just rationalize it. And uh, Once More with Feeling is one of my favorite episodes from the scene where Xander is reading a a newspaper and the headline says, um, Attack in Sunnydale. Monsters definitely not involved, officials say. (laughs) Definitely not. Yeah. It's just that, you know, and that's the TVC concept. All this weird stuff can happen in the same world as, like, Law and Order. Um because people will rationalize um, away anything that is out of their their normal um, viewpoint. And, and that reminds me, too, of another um, classic crossover you mentioned um, that we saw at Abbott and Costello meet Frankenstein that you found highly influential. That was quite a crossover of genres because a lot of – one of the taboos against the I draw the line with this crossover people is do not get comedies and serious um, – you know, dramatic elements together or like horror elements. Yet the, these two combined in that movie and they worked to the point right. where, yeah, a lot of these individuals give that movie a free pass. The, the key to doing it well is that both parties have to maintain true to the original series. And uh, in Abbott and Costello meets Frankenstein, they did that. All the monsters played it straight like any other universal horror movie while, 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 while the two uh, bumblers maintain true to their comedic roots um and that that that's what that's what makes it work uh is is you know if if you try to do you know try to do uh like a a stan helsing um it's not going to work because you're you're making the monsters look like buffoons uh that that just doesn't work well, I know some people have argued in that movie that the Wolfman came off as buffoonish when when he kept trying to attack, uh, you know, Lou Costello's character. I believe his name was um, Wilbur in the you know in the hotel room and kept stumbling. But I, the explanation you gave me worked. A lot of these comic characters do seem to have this subconscious ability that you described to me as dumb luck. Well, it, especially it, since Lou Costello Jr., who was using the the code name of uh, the the pseudonym of Wilbur at that point because they're con men who constantly move around and change their names, um, is a um, descendant of ancestors of the cartoon universe. He has cartoonish properties. Um, um, his world, despite being live action, is a, uh, follows the physics of, of, of a cartoon. So he has dumb luck. And, and could this affect other sitcom characters to the point that it affects them just situationally? If they're, if they're around you, these wacky situations come up that are normal and usual to them, but from people looking on the outside, like the, that one TV crossover when Mannix had the misfortune of crossing over with Lucille Ball's character from Here's Lucy. So 
I, I live in a sitcom. <laughs> um, I, I I really see myself that way. Um, I find myself in situational comedy um, incidents all the time, um, and sometimes I will talk to the camera and uh, <laughs> and uh, and make reference of it. Um, I hear theme music in my head. So um, I never noticed that live that studio audience too. in this room before. What the hell? <laughs> no, I, can't, I cannot sing my theme song. Um, I'm one of those shows that doesn't have an opening theme anymore, not since like sixth grade. But um, I used to have one. But um, just a splash page. Now it now it just opens, you know. But I but I but I have a soundtrack in my head all the time. So. <laughs> oh, I, I just think that, that that's a fascinating idea. I mean, if we have. You know, characters like, let's say, Tarzan, who naturally attract, you know, extraordinarily dramatic situations to them. And we have characters like, uh, let's say, Jack Tripper, who attracts extraordinarily embarrassing and funny situations. If these two characters cross over, what ensues? I, I think that's interesting questions to, to ask. And that's why, you know, I, I'm not a proponent of Never the Twain Shall Meet when it comes to genres and crossovers. Well, the entire TVCU's linchpin is the crossover between Lucy from I Love Lucy, the sitcom, and Superman from the Adventures of Superman television show. Right. So a dramatic show, yeah. an action dramatic show, yeah. and a total buffoonish sitcom character. Yeah, Lucy meets, yeah, Lucy meets Superman is, is really the center of the television crossover universe. Um and some people, uh, like Thomas Holbrook, will argue that no, it's not. It's not really Superman. Uh, <laughs> you know, it's George Reeves. But here, but but here's the thing: um, they were trying to get George Reeves on to appear at Little Ricky's party, um, and then he wasn't able to show up. And then that's why Lucy showed uh, showed up in the Superman costume. So then Superman shows up. Um, and sure, he, he flies into the living room um, just like he would do. So, you, you know, we don't see if there's a springboard on the other side or not. Um, but it's not exactly a ground floor window. But, yeah, well, no, he flies in through the kitchen, through the little pantry thing. So so it could, it could easily have been that. But there's a moment where... Um, to get Lucy, Lucy's out on the ledge, and they have to, and they and they have to move this piano to get to the window, and three adults are trying to move this piano, and they cannot budge it. It's like super heavy, and then and then Superman just with one hand just like tosses it aside, just <laughs> just as Superman would do, um, and and the fact is they never call him George Reeves in the entire episode. And um, never, never did he act out of character either. And I, even in even in the um, closing credits, he's referred to as Superman. Um, you know, he, not that he played himself. Um, so he was never out of character, and he did did, did display super strength. Um, and so I do believe that um, George Reeves plays Superman on TV because they um, hired an actor who looks very much like Superman. But it was Superman that showed up at that party. Well, one question people could ask, Rob, that I really hope you could answer, I and mean, you may need some help from Ivan on this one, but uh, people could ask, in a world where all those disasters happen all the time that, that Superman has to save, how did he find the time to go to a kid's party? If they could ask. <laughs> well, in, the, in Adventures of Superman, there wasn't that many world-destroying world, uh, um, catastrophes. Um, 
And overall, in the television crossover universe, those kind of catastrophes don't happen as much. Uh, we don't count most of the comic books as, as having happened. Um, we only count the issues that have crossovers with other mediums, uh, television, film, uh, literature, um, things like that. So it makes it a little easier um, to accept Superman um, of the television series with a few comic book appearances um, in the tele- in 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 the world of in that world and superman always showed up at like kids parties look at that time he like showed up for that blind girl in, in the adventures of superman and not only did he fly her around the world but then he did like surgery on her and like made her not blind anymore i, I was thinking of that example but this argument could, could be made i mean at any given time you know lois lane and jimmy olsen were probably uh, um in captivity by some criminals or something and you know, <laughs> he, he has time to attend a little ricky's birthday party that point could be made it was the Men of Letters. <laughs> the Men of Letters and the Hunters from Supernatural were taking care of all of these threats while Superman was going to children's parties. I like it. I, I guess that works because, you know, that, I mean, was there ever a day when Lois and Jimmy weren't held in captivity? I mean, considering how horrible Jimmy Olsen's acting skills was whenever he tried to finagle his way into... February 18th, 1943. That is the day that neither <laughs> of them were in trouble. <laughs> Okay, maybe that one day, and that was probably before they became a... Wait a minute, so Jimmy Olsen from the TV show could not have been the Jimmy Olsen from the early 40s unless he... uh, No. Exactly aged, so... But, um, so, so the Jimmy Olsen from um, the radio show probably could not be the same Jimmy Olsen from the the TV series because of the age difference. Um, In the comics, it's not as big of a deal because he was just office boy. Um, for most of the time, Jimmy Olsen um, didn't really show up in the comics until the TV show came out. Um, he very he sk- radio show first, I think maybe he, he, did. he, he yeah he, uh, he appeared in the comics as Office Boy, and and then he appeared in one of the animated um, Fleischer cartoons called Name Lewis, but it was the same character. Um, but he but it wasn't until um, Jack Larson's portrayal made him so popular that he started showing up more often and got his own spin-off comic book, Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen. So then, Rob, we just have to figure out why did they call him Lewis in those shows. There, there's got to be an explanation why they called him be- Lewis. Because the, the, the Fleischer cartoons um, were, were um, inspired by the, the comic, and in the comic he was just called Office Boy. Because nobody respected him enough at that point to use his name, right? Well, nobody knew what his name was. Yeah. So, point. so, but but by using that, I can say that if the pilot happened in 1938, that wasn't Jimmy Olsen; that was Lewis. Exactly. In that one, in that one episode. And okay. Then Ten years later, we and then, got Jimmy. Yeah. Okay, but if no one knew his name, why couldn't they simply ask him, Ivan? I mean, is that so difficult? I'm, I'm, I'm just not trying to. His name is Lewis. <laughs> Chris, when you go to the grocery store, do you ask the bag boy his name? No, but they were working with. Well, this why guy. don't you ask the bag boy's name? Do you think he's lesser? Do you you, think you he's just sit. You just say, there? "Hey, bag boy." Yeah, I mean, well, I, I, I mean, everybody was above the office boy there. It's not like you know these weren't employees; these were coworkers, but they were still above him in rank. And why did I even start this? But he, I, I was, he just, was just a kid too. He was only like twelve. Oh, you just said that to the Youth Liberationist dude? 
But okay, I get the gist, but you know, it's still... Underdog's secret identity was Shoeshine Boy. (laughs) Everybody called him Shoeshine Boy, and even though he was the star of the show, he did not have another name. He was Shoeshine Boy and Underdog. That's it. Sometimes people just don't have real names. No, are or they in this case dogs? Or they, yeah, no one acknowledges them. Like, I mean, did you call the guy at work who brings you your coffee, coffee guy? Or you know, I'm just nobody has ever I brought me coffee. <laughs> Why do I want to hear this? Would you call him? I, I called him Bert. Why? His name Why? is Bert. He, he wore a little name tag that says "Hello, my name is Bert." Yeah, so you know, Copy Boy could have done. It. He could have said my name, a tag name. My name is Lewis. Well, if he had thought of wearing a name tag, he probably would have been called by his name. In, in, in the in the Fleischer cartoon, the one that Lewis appears in, he does call himself Lewis. When other people don't say his name, he gets very upset about it that they don't recognize his name. Ah, ah so they were doing it to aggravate him. That's why they were calling Copy Boy. All right, I mean, they <laughs> sounds to a- me like they were doing it to aggravate you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, I was going to say if there were a bunch of people in that office who are like me, yeah, they would call him Copy Boy just to annoy him. So, yeah, but I wasn't born yet, so they could have been doing it to annoy me. Or so you hope. It's a conspiracy. All right. Well, we're getting close to uh, running out of time here. We are going to have to go to commercial break soon. But before we do, I need to ask E if he has any big projects on the horizon that he would like to tell us about. Uh, let's see. So, um, yeah, the horror crossover encyclopedia, I think I said it in this episode as well, is when I was talking about the popularity it. of it. Is, it's been a week now. Yeah. Can you maybe tell us a yeah. little bit more about who your yeah. second intro is going to be from? Um, no. Oh. I still haven't asked him. <laughs> um, yeah, so um, – but but uh, but I think he will do it. Uh, my my mailman. No. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that guy. No. This, spoke so, so highly of him last time. So the second edition is coming out in a matte format uh, cover. Um, same, same beautiful artwork. Um, um, which which some people just buy for the artwork, um, and then they then they like oh this crossovers in here too, um, but um, yeah and it's gonna it's gonna a little fine tuning to it, um, you know, the, it's like the deluxe edition, um, so new intro by me and and somebody else to be determined, um, and it will uh, you know be out around the fall hopefully before um, Halloween-ish time. And we're thinking of putting on the cover some highlights from Amazon reviews. So fanboy cod swallow. That's going to be at the top. (laughs) Nice. So anyone out there listening who has read the book and hasn't reviewed it or made any comments about it on Amazon, this is your time. Yeah, and you know, we've had a lot of good reviews for for that. I say we because it's always a collaboration when I write stuff. Um but yeah, we've had a lot of good reviews. The only bad review we had was that it wasn't in alphabetical order. Yes. That that I I tried to make it look, uh, you know, kind of a historical history of horror uh, by writing it in a chronological order of publication dates and 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 movie release dates, and and that was the one complaint. They shouldn't call it an encyclopedia if it's not alphabetical. And uh, oh well. Well, I guess it's more <laughs> like an encyclopedia article in that sense, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but um. But otherwise, um, it's had a lot of good reviews. So, um, you know, um, so if you haven't bought the um, the second edition, I mean the first edition, you should buy it and then buy the second edition so you can compare them. So yes, so and buy maybe them so both. you can see 
your comment from Amazon printed on the cover of the new one. It can yeah. happen. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Get your reviews you in now. <laughs> and uh, so um, that's coming out, and uh, I'm still working on the Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia, which might be called Cartoon Multiverse, the Cartoon Crossover Encyclopedia. Um, we'll, we'll see. Um, that's going to be a two-volume thing because it's it's a lot of cartoon crossovers. Um, At least two volumes. Yeah. And then I'm still working on World of Mythology 2, uh, which covers uh, Marvels of the television crossover universe. It covers um, uh, a little a little thing about uh, the Mirror Universe and Over There from Fringe and uh, Earth 3 and uh, those It's a Wonderful Life type uh, tropes and, uh, and tries to make sense of it all. Um, I've been working on that for a long time because I'm trying to make sense of it all. Um, and, and then the last two will be about... Um, Theology in the television crossover universe and um, fairy tales and folklore within the television crossover universe. Um, and then there might be a bonus in there, my uh, first fictional story published in 20 years, uh, a Lovecraftian crossover type thing. So, Excellent. Yeah. I'd like to know more about that, but we're out of time now, so... Hopefully you'll join us after the commercial break where we can talk about crossover stuff. Sure. For a change. Sure, I'll stick around. <laughs> okay, great. I'm not going nowhere. We'll be right back. Okay, well, we're back, and not nearly enough time to talk about more crossovers, but I think we covered a lot of them in the, yeah. in the main discussion here. So I definitely want to thank Rob for being with us today as sure. our guest. I want to thank James and Chris for helping with the hosting chores there. And I want to talk a little bit about how next week I'll be reviewing the film Dark Water as part of a special crossover event within the Grand Guignol Network. So that's a crossover of podcasts, something that we uh, haven't quite even talked about yet. So breaking new territory. We'll also be talking to Micah S. Harris as our guest next time. Our first returning guest. Our first returning guest. So before we go away, I do want to thank our GoFundMe sponsor, who happens to be co-host James Boyacek. Thank you, James. I also want to thank our sponsor, Playpen Magazine, a quality gentleman's magazine for quality gentlemen. And Dean Winchester. And a special thanks to Tiny White and the Deadites for our show's theme music. Thanks to all who listen. Remember to subscribe and rate our show on iTunes. And as always, everything happens somewhere. <laughs>